Section 3 of Our National Parks. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Abai in July 2021. Our National Parks by John Muir. Chapter 2, Part 1. The Yellowstone National Park. Of the four national parks of the West, the Yellowstone is far the largest. It is a big, wholesome wilderness on the broad summit of the Rocky Mountains, favored with abundance of rain and snow, a place of fountains where the greatest of the American rivers take their rise. The central portion is a densely forested and comparatively level volcanic plateau with an average elevation of about 8,000 feet above the sea, surrounded by an imposing host of mountains belonging to the subordinate Gallatin, Wind River, Teton, Absaroka, and Snowy Ranges. Unnumbered lakes shine in it, united by a famous band of streams that rush up out of hot lava beds, or fall from the frosty peaks in channels rocky and bare, mossy and bosky to the main rivers singing cheerily on through every difficulty cunningly dividing and finding their way east and west to the two far-off seas glacier meadows and beaver meadows are outspread with charming effect along the banks of the streams park-like expanses in the woods and innumerable small gardens in rocky recesses of the mountains some of them containing more petals than leaves, while the whole wilderness is enlivened with happy animals. Beside the treasures common to most mountain regions that are wild and blessed with a kind climate, the park is full of exciting wonders. The wildest geysers in the world, in bright triumphant bands, are dancing and singing in it amid thousands of boiling springs, beautiful and awful, their basins arrayed in gorgeous colors like gigantic flowers, and hot paint pots, mud springs, mud volcanoes, mush and broth cauldrons, whose contents are of every color and consistency, plash and heave and roar in bewildering abundance. In the adjacent mountains, beneath the living trees, the edges of petrified forests are exposed to view like specimens on the shelves of a museum, standing on ledges tier above tier where they grew, solemnly silent in rigid crystalline beauty after swaying in the winds thousands of centuries ago, opening marvellous views back into the years and climates and life of the past. Here too are hills of sparkling crystals, hills of sulphur, hills of glass, hills of cinders and ashes, mountains of every style of architecture, icy or forested, mountains covered with honey-blooms sweet as hymettus, mountains boiled soft like potatoes and coloured like a sunset sky. A that and a that and twice a muckles a that, nature has on show in the Yellowstone Park. Therefore it is called Wonderland, and thousands of tourists and travellers stream into it every summer and wander about in it, enchanted. Fortunately, almost as soon as it was discovered, 
it was dedicated and set apart for the benefit of the people a piece of legislation that shines benignly amid the common dust and ashes history of the public domain for which the world must thank professor hayden above all others for he led the first scientific exploring party into it described it and with admirable enthusiasm urged congress to preserve it as delineated in the year eighteen seventy two the park contained about three thousand three hundred forty four square miles on march thirtieth eighteen ninety one it was to all intents and purposes enlarged by the yellowstone national park timber reserve and in december eighteen ninety seven by the teton forest reserve thus nearly doubling its original area and extending the southern boundary far enough to take in the sublime teton range and the famous pasture lands of the big rocky mountain game animals the withdrawal of this large tract from the public domain did no harm to any one for its height six thousand to over thirteen thousand feet above the sea and its thick mantle of volcanic rocks prevent its ever being available for agriculture or mining while on the other hand its geographical position reviving climate and wonderful scenery combine to make it a great health pleasure and study resort a gathering place for travelers from all the world the national parks are not only withdrawn from sale and entry like the forest reservations but are efficiently managed and guarded by small troops of united states cavalry directed by the secretary of the interior under this care the forests are flourishing protected from both axe and fire and so of course are the shaggy beds of underbrush and the herbaceous vegetation the so-called curiosities also are preserved and the furred and feathered tribes many of which in danger of extinction a short time ago are now increasing in numbers a refreshing thing to see amid the blind ruthless destruction that is going on in the adjacent regions in pleasing contrast to the noisy ever-changing management or mismanagement of blundering plundering money-making boat-sellers who receive their places from boss politicians as purchased goods the soldiers do their duty so quietly that the traveller is scarce aware of their presence this is the coolest and highest of the parks frosts occur every month of the year nevertheless the tenderest tourist finds it warm enough in summer the air is electric and full of ozone healing reviving exhilarating kept pure by frost and fire while the scenery is wild enough to awaken the dead it is a glorious place to grow in and rest in camping on the shores of the lake in the warm openings of the woods golden with sunflowers on the banks of the streams by the snowy waterfalls beside the exciting wonders or away from them in the scallops of the mountain walls sheltered from every wind on smooth silky lawns enamelled with gentians up in the fountain hollows of the ancient glaciers between the peaks where cool pools and brooks and gardens of precious plants charmingly embowered are never wanting and good rough rocks with every variety of cliff and scour are invitingly near for outlooks and exercise 
from these lovely dens you may make excursions whenever you like into the middle of the park where the geysers and hot springs are reeking and spouting in their beautiful basins displaying an exuberance of colour and strange motion and energy admirably calculated to surprise and frighten charm and shake up the least sensitive out of apathy into newness of life however orderly your excursions or aimless again and again amid the calmest stillest scenery you will be brought to a standstill hushed and awe-stricken before phenomena wholly new to you boiling springs and huge deep pools of purest green and azure water thousands of them are plashing and heaving in these high cool mountains as if a fierce furnace fire were burning beneath each one of them and a hundred geysers white torrents of boiling water and steam like inverted waterfalls are ever and anon rushing up out of the hot black underworld some of these ponderous geyser columns are as large as sequoias five to sixty feet in diameter one hundred and fifty to three hundred feet high and are sustained at this great height with tremendous energy for a few minutes or perhaps nearly an hour standing rigid and erect hissing throbbing booming as if thunderstorms were raging beneath their roots their sides roughened or fluted like the furrowed boles of trees their tops dissolving in feathery branches while the irised spray like misty bloom is at times blown aside revealing the massive shafts shining against the background of pine-covered hills some of them lean more or less as if storm-bent and instead of being round are flat or fan-shaped issuing from irregular slits in silex pavements with radiate structure the sunbeams sifting through them in ravishing splendour some are broad and round-headed like oaks others are low and bunchy branching near the ground like bushes and a few are hollow in the centre like big daisies or water-lilies no frost cools them snow never covers them nor lodges in their branches winter and summer they welcome alike all of them of whatever form or size faithfully rising and sinking in fairy rhythmic dance night and day in all sorts of weather at varying periods of minutes hours or weeks growing up rapidly uncontrollable as fate tossing their pearly branches in the wind bursting into bloom and vanishing like the frailest flowers plants of which nature raises hundreds or thousands of crops a year with no apparent exhaustion of the fiery soil the so-called geyser basins in which this rare sort of vegetation is growing are mostly open valleys on the central plateau that were eroded by glaciers after the greater volcanic fires had ceased to burn looking down over the forests as you approach them from the surrounding heights you see a multitude of white columns broad reeking masses and irregular jets and puffs of misty vapour ascending from the bottom of the valley or entangled like smoke among the neighbouring trees suggesting the factories of some busy town or the campfires of an army these mark the position of each mush-pot paint-pot 
hot spring and geyser or gusher as the icelandic words mean and when you saunter into the midst of them over the bright cinder pavements and see how pure and white and pearly grey they are in the shade of the mountains and how radiant in the sunshine you are fairly enchanted so numerous they are and varied nature seems to have gathered them from all the world as specimens of her rarest fountains to show in one place what she can do over four thousand hot springs have been counted in the park and a hundred geysers how many more there are nobody knows these valleys at the heads of the great rivers may be regarded as laboratories and kitchens in which amid a thousand retorts and pots we may see nature at work as chemist or cook cunningly compounding an infinite variety of mineral messes cooking whole mountains boiling and steaming flinty rocks to smooth paste and mush yellow brown red pink lavender gray and creamy white making the most beautiful mud in the world and distilling the most ethereal essences many of these pots and cauldrons have been boiling thousands of years pots of sulphurous mush stringy and lumpy and pots of broth as black as ink are tossed and stirred with constant care and thin transparent essences too pure and fine to be called water are kept simmering gently in beautiful cinter cups and bowls that grow ever more beautiful the longer they are used in some of the spring basins the waters though still warm are perfectly calm and shine blandly in a sod of overleaning grass and flowers as if they were thoroughly cooked at last and set aside to settle and cool others are wildly boiling over as if running to waste thousands of tons of the precious liquids being thrown into the air to fall in scalding floods on the clean coral floor of the establishment keeping onlookers at a distance instead of holding limpid pale green or azure water other pots and craters are filled with scalding mud which is tossed up from three or four feet to thirty feet in stinky rank-smelling masses with gasping belching thudding sounds plastering the branches of neighboring trees every flask retort hot spring and geyser has something special in it no two being the same in temperature color or composition in these natural laboratories one needs stout faith to feel at ease the ground sounds hollow underfoot and the awful subterranean thunder shakes one's mind as the ground is shaken especially at night in the pale moonlight or when the sky is overcast with storm clouds in the solemn gloom the geysers dimly visible look like monstrous dancing ghosts and their wild songs and the earthquake thunder replying to the storms overhead seem doubly terrible as if divine government were at an end but the trembling hills keep their places the sky clears the rosy dawn is reassuring and up comes the sun like a god pouring his faithful beams across the mountains and forest lighting each peak and tree and ghastly geyser alike and shining into the eyes of the reeking springs 
clothing them with rainbow light and dissolving the seeming chaos of darkness into varied forms of harmony the ordinary work of the world goes on gladly we see the flies dancing in the sunbeams birds feeding their young squirrels gathering nuts and hear the blessed ouzel singing confidingly in the shallows of the river most faithful evangel calming every fear reducing everything to love the variously tinted sinter and travertine formations outspread like pavements over large areas of the giza valleys lining the spring basins and throats of the craters and forming beautiful coral-like rims and curbs about them always excite admiring attention so also does the play of the waters from which they are deposited the various minerals in them are rich in colors and these are greatly heightened by a smooth silky growth of brilliantly colored confervae which lines many of the pools and channels and terraces no bed of flower bloom is more exquisite than these myriads of minute plants visible only in mass growing in the hot waters most of the spring borders are low and daintily scalloped crenellated and beaded with sinter pearls some of the giza craters are massive and picturesque like ruined castles or old burned-out sequoia stumps and are adorned on a grand scale with outbulging cauliflower-like formations from these as centers the silex pavements slope gently away in thin crusty overlapping layers slightly interrupted in some places by low terraces or as in the case of the mammoth hot springs at the north end of the park where the building waters issue from the side of a steep hill the deposits form a succession of higher and broader terraces of white travertine tinged with purple like the famous pink terrace at rotomahana new zealand draped in front with clustering stalactites each terrace having a pool of indescribably beautiful water upon it in a basin with a raised rim that glistens with confervae the whole when viewed at a distance of a mile or two looking like a broad massive cascade pouring over shelving rocks in snowy purpled foam the stones of this divine masonry invisible particles of lime or silex mined in quarries no eye has seen go to their appointed places in gentle tinkling transparent currents or through the dashing turmoil of floods as surely guided as the sap of plants streaming into bowl and branch leaf and flower and thus from century to century this beauty work has gone on and is going on passing through many a mile of pine and spruce woods toward the centre of the park you come to the famous yellowstone lake it is about twenty miles long and fifteen wide and lies at a height of nearly eight thousand feet above the level of the sea amid dense black forests and snowy mountains around its winding wavering shores closely forested and picturesquely varied with promontories and bays the distance is more than one hundred miles it is not very deep only from two hundred to three hundred feet 
and contains less water than the celebrated lake toho of the california sierra which is nearly the same size lies at a height of six thousand four hundred feet and is over one thousand six hundred feet deep but no other lake in north america of equal area lies so high as the yellowstone or gives birth to so noble a river the terraces around its shores show that at the close of the glacial period its surface was about one hundred sixty feet higher than it is now and its area nearly twice as great it is full of trout and a vast multitude of birds swans pelicans geese ducks cranes herons curlews plovers snipe feed in it and upon its shores and many forest animals come out of the woods and wade a little way in shallow sandy places to drink and look about them and cool themselves in the free-flowing breezes in calm weather it is a magnificent mirror for the woods and mountains and sky now patterned with hail and rain now roughened with sudden storms that send waves to fringe the shores and wash its border of gravel and sand the Absaroka mountains and the wind river plateau on the east and south pour their gathered waters into it and the river issues from the north side in a broad smooth stately current silently gliding with such serene majesty that one fancies it knows the vast journey of four thousand miles that lies before it and the work it has to do for the first twenty miles its course is in a level sunny valley lightly fringed with trees through which it flows in silvery reaches stirred into spangles here and there by ducks and leaping trout making no sound save a low whispering among the pebbles and the dipping willows and sedges of its banks then suddenly as if preparing for hard work it rushes eagerly impetuously forward rejoicing in its strength breaks into foam bloom and goes thundering down into the grand canyon in two magnificent falls one hundred and three hundred feet high the canyon is so tremendously wild and impressive that even these great falls cannot hold your attention it is about twenty miles long and a thousand feet deep a weird unearthly looking gorge of jagged fantastic architecture and most brilliantly colored here the washburn range forming the northern rim of the yellowstone basin made up mostly of beds of rhyolite decomposed by the action of thermal waters has been cut through and laid open to view by the river and a famous section it has made it is not the depth or the shape of the canyon nor the waterfall nor the green and gray river chanting its brave song as it goes foaming on its way that most impresses the observer but the colors of the decomposed volcanic rocks with few exceptions the traveller in strange lands find that however much the scenery and vegetation in different countries may change mother earth is ever familiar and the same but here the very ground is changed as if belonging to some other world the walls of the canyon from top to bottom burn in a perfect glory of colour confounding and dazzling when the sun is shining white yellow green 
blue, vermilion, and various other shades of red indefinitely blending. All the earth hereabouts seems to be paint. Millions of tons of it lie in sight, exposed to wind and weather as if of no account, yet marvellously fresh and bright, fast colours not to be washed out or bleached out by either sunshine or storms. The effect is so novel and awful, we imagine that even a river might be afraid to enter such a place. But the rich and gentle beauty of the vegetation is reassuring. The lovely Linnea borealis hangs her twin bells over the brink of the cliffs. Forests and gardens extend their treasures in smiling confidence on either side. Nuts and berries ripen well whatever may be going on below. Blind fears vanish and the grand gorge seems a kindly, beautiful part of the general harmony, full of peace and joy and goodwill. The park is easy of access. Locomotives drag you to its northern boundary at Cinnabar, and horses and guides do the rest. From Cinnabar, you will be whirled in coaches along the foaming Gardiner River to Mammoth Hot Springs, thence through woods and meadows, gulches and ravines along branches of the upper Gallatin, Madison, and Firehole rivers to the main geyser basins, thence over the continental divide and back again, up and down through dense pine, spruce, and fir woods to the magnificent Yellowstone Lake, along its northern shore to the outlet, down the river to the falls and Grand Canyon, and thence back through the woods to Mammoth Hot Springs and Cinnabar. Stopping here and there at the so-called points of interest among the geysers, springs, paint pots, mud volcanoes, etc., where you will be allowed a few minutes or hours to saunter over the cinder pavements, watch the play of a few of the geysers, and peer into some of the most beautiful and terrible of the craters and pools. These wonders you will enjoy, and also the views of the mountains, especially the Gallatin and Absaroka ranges, the long, willowy glacier and beaver meadows, the beds of violets, gentians, phloxes, asters, phacelias, goldenrods, areogonums, and many other flowers, some species giving colour to whole meadows and hillsides and you will enjoy your short views of the great lake and river and canyon. No scalping Indians will you see. The Blackfeet and Bannocks that once roamed here are gone, so are the old beaver catchers, the coulters and bridgers, with all their attractive buckskin and romance. There are several bands of buffaloes in the park, but you will not thus cheaply in tourist fashion see them, nor many of the other large animals hidden in the wilderness. The songbirds, too, keep mostly out of sight of the rushing tourist, though off the roads thrushes, warblers, orioles, crossbeaks, etc., keep the air sweet and merry. Perhaps in passing rapids and falls you may catch glimpses of the water ouzel, but in the whirling noise you will not hear his song. Fortunately, no road noise frightens the Douglas squirrel, and his merry play and gossip will amuse you all through the woods. Here and there a deer may be seen crossing the road, 
or a bear. Most likely, however, the only bears you will see are the half-tame ones that go to the hotels every night for dinner-table scraps, yeast powder biscuit, Chicago canned stuff, mixed pickles, and beefsteaks that have proved too tough for the tourists. Among the gains of a coach trip are the acquaintances made and the fresh views into human nature, for the wilderness is a shrewd touchstone, even thus lightly approached, and brings many a curious trait to view. Setting out, the driver cracks his whip, and the four horses go off at half gallop, half trot, in trained, showy style, until out of sight of the hotel. The coach is crowded, old and young side by side, blooming and fading, full of hope and fun and care. Some look at the scenery or the horses and all ask questions, an odd mixed lot of them. Where is the umbrella? What is the name of that blue flower over there? Are you sure the little bag is aboard? Is that hollow yonder a crater? How is your throat this morning? How high did you say the geysers spout? How does the elevation affect your head? Is that a geyser reeking over there in the rocks or only a hot spring? A long ascent is made, the solemn mountains come to view, small cares are quenched, and all become natural and silent, save perhaps some unfortunate expounder who has been reading guidebook geology, and rumbles forth foggy subsidences and upheavals, until he is in danger of being heaved overboard. The driver will give you the names of the peaks and meadows and streams as you come to them, call attention to the glass road, tell how hard it was to build, how the obsidian cliffs naturally push the surveyor's lines to the right, and the industrious beavers, by flooding the valley in front of the cliff, push them to the left. Geysers, however, are the main objects, and as soon as they come in sight, other wonders are forgotten. All gather around the crater of the one that is expected to play first. During the eruptions of the smaller geysers, such as the beehive and old faithful, though a little frightened at first, all welcome the glorious show with enthusiasm and shout, Oh, how wonderful, beautiful, splendid, majestic! Some venture near enough to stroke the column with a stick, as if it were a stone pillar or a tree, so firm and substantial and permanent it seems. While tourists wait around a large geyser, such as the castle or the giant, there is a chatter of small talk in anything but solemn mood, and during the intervals between the preliminary splashes and upheavals, some adventurer occasionally looks down the throat of the crater, admiring the silex formations, and wondering whether Hades is as beautiful. But when, with awful uproar as if avalanches were falling and storms thundering in the depths, the tremendous outburst begins, all run away to a safe distance, and look on, awe-stricken and silent, in devout, worshipping wonder. The largest and one of the most wonderfully beautiful of the springs is the prismatic, which the guide will be sure to show you. With a circumference of three hundred yards, it is more like a lake than a spring. The water is pure deep blue in the centre, fading to green on the edges, 
and its basin and the slightly terraced pavement about it are astonishingly bright and varied in color this one of the multitude of yellowstone fountains is of itself object enough for a trip across the continent no wonder that so many fine myths have originated in springs that so many fountains were held sacred in the youth of the world and had miraculous virtues ascribed to them even in these cold doubting questioning scientific times many of the yellowstone fountains seem able to work miracles near the prismatic spring is the great excelsior geyser which is said to throw a column of boiling water sixty to seventy feet in diameter to a height of from fifty to three hundred feet at irregular periods this is the greatest of all the geysers yet discovered anywhere the firehole river which sweeps past it is at ordinary states a stream about one hundred yards wide and three feet deep but when the geyser is in eruption so great is the quantity of water discharged that the volume of the river is doubled and it is rendered too hot and rapid to be forded end of section three